Hi, this is Jordan Cornish, producer of Commons. We're off this week. If you listen to Commons, I know you like stories that are wild, a little bit out there, which means you'll probably like another one of Candleland's podcasts. It's called Wag the Dug. Unlike Commons, Wag the Dug is all about one story, or rather, one man, Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Ford runs a government that plays by their own rules and is constantly breaking political conventions. It's honestly hard to keep track of everything that's happening. The show keeps you informed in a way that's funny and accessible, and I'm extremely jealous of their theme music. You can subscribe to Wag the Doug wherever you get this show. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Crude. Now, Wag the Doug. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Robert F. Kennedy. Talk is cheap. Execution sets you apart. Matthew Corrin, CEO of Freshy. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Steve Jobs. The difference between average people and achieving people is their perception of and response to failure. John C. Maxwell. Time is money. Anonymous. Success is not the absence of failure, it's the persistence through failure. Aisha Tyler. When everything seems to be going against you, remember that the airplane takes off against the wind, not with it. Henry Ford. Noted eugenicist. Now, there's an excellent chance that most of those are not correctly attributed, uh, although it is true to say that each of those has been attributed to the person to whom they were just attributed. They're also overwhelmingly attributed to white men, for which we apologize. Many a crappy business book, and possibly even one or two good ones, uh, have been written about the art of management. Management styles, quotes and axioms about leadership, litter the internet. And you know who else is a manager? It may prescribe to his own uh, fleet of, of management axioms is Ontario Premier Doug Ford. And you know who else was a manager? Dean French. Don't let the fancy chief of staff title fool you. French was simply a top-level manager in the premier's office. And by extension, he was the manager of the Ontario PC caucus and in a lot of ways the manager of the whole government of Ontario. But who was his manager? Doug Ford. So as much as management culture can seem pretty whack, it's also a very important part of running a government and a labels business. So how did a failure of management lead to a weeks-long disaster for Doug Ford? Uh, A pivotal breakdown that we, you know, could look back on as the moment when things began to crack apart for him. Today we'll answer that question by bringing you the Doug Ford Guide to Management. Or how to get ahead in government without really trying. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, the news editor at Canada Land, and I covered Robin Doug Ford for many years at uh, Toronto City Hall. I'm Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, 
And it's very interesting to be finally chronicling the supposed end of Dean French, who for the past six months, the Queens Park Press Gallery has just been referring to as Dean. He basically became a syllable. And this is Wag the Dog, a podcast about Doug Ford and by extension, his friends and family and by extension from them, Dean French's friends and family. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Attributed, or misattributed, to Thomas Edison. So at the time of us recording this, it's been 12 days since Doug Ford attempted to reset his sagging government with a cabinet shuffle. It has been 11 days since his chief of staff and longtime family friend, Dean French, resigned after being caught making a series of egregious appointments that basically everyone is is calling nepotism. And it's been 15 days since this happened. The Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford! That was a clip of the Premier getting booed at the Toronto Raptors victory parade, perhaps the most jovial event the city's ever seen, by a crowd composed of young, diverse people in the GTA who I think up until that day, Ford would have liked to believe were part of his base, or at least part of a constituency that wouldn't loudly boo him while cheering on for Justin Trudeau and John Tory, who were also mm-hmm. present at the rally. Listeners of this show, we've, you know, you know, we have chronicled the uh, kind of the budget and the and the, the disasters within mm. uh, how the Ford government sort of tried to play it up as if they were spending more. Of course, um, still months later, all of the cuts kept trickling out. These huge continuous cuts, you know, just kept slamming the government, hurting them in the media, resulting in bad polls, resulting in the boos. And basically, the Ontario PCs who were elected with you know, a ton of popularity just over a year ago are now very low in the polls. Doug Ford has been polling his popularity lower than Premier Kathleen Wynne did at the one of her lowest points of popularity. So they're not in great shape. Yeah, as we discussed before, I mean, their, their governing program is fundamentally unpopular in practice. People like efficiencies in theory. People do not like cuts in practice. It is not really at all surprising that in attempting to deliver on the impossible promises he made, they would cut services, services, programs, initiatives that exist because people rely on them. So when you take things away from people, people do not like that. Doug Ford uh, should have been aware of this, but he has limited capacity to, to learn, we have seen. Do you know what else was unpopular in practice? Ford's chief of staff, Dean French. Your team is only as strong as its weakest link. Yeah, the reporting on Dean French is, you know, rule with an iron fist uh, and just furious management style uh, that included screaming at MPPs, um, sort of whipping people into shape or into caucus solidarity in a a way that I've never seen any other government do, including the the clapping in uh, question period and basically the overall kind of culture of fear 
dates all the way back to last November when Adam Redwanski of the Globe and Mail uh, reported a column about all of this that really, I think, kind of started to get Dean's French's name into more of the the public consciousness. If you'll remember, Jonathan, we were Mm -hmm. both at the victory night party for Doug Ford Mm -hmm. in Etobicoke on election night last June. Mm -hmm. And Dean French was actually the one on the stage who introduced Doug Ford. Mm -hmm. And Adam Radvansky points this out in his column. At that point, nobody really knew who he was, but they were all about to. So he was quickly, swiftly appointed to the transition team, became his chief of staff, and really, it seems like formed, like I said, the the culture of fear around the PPC caucus pretty quickly and more like occasionally, actually, let's say frequently, things would sort of spill out uh, rumors about him or uh, just tales of the of what he had done to MPPs. And it just kind of started slowly building and building up until the point when he resigned a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I sort of, from my perspective, as someone who'd paid, you know, as a licensed or unlicensed Fordologist, uh, he had sort of come out of, not out of nowhere. I mean, you know, in in any discussion of the Ford family, the term longtime family friend will come up again and again and again. But he wasn't someone who was in the spotlight or visible when Rob Ford was at City Hall. His presence in the book by uh, Mark Toohey, who was one of Rob Ford's chiefs of staff and is now the editor of the Sun newspapers across Canada, uh, in his book described Dean French as being the one who first brought him in to the Ford orbit. Dean French had succeeded Mark Toohey as president of their local conservative writing association, and he was the one who initially set up the meeting between Toohey and Doug Ford to come on to the campaign. He was the one whose fault it is that they all came together. So the other things we know about French, um, the Toronto Life actually wrote a, a bit of a mini profile on him in, in January. Um, we know that he ran an insurance company. Uh, we know he used to work for Stockwell Day. He came in a distant fifth of 10 in running in uh, for Toronto City Council for Ward 3 Etobicoke Centre in the 2014 election, barely making it onto anyone's radar at the time. Yeah, one one funny note about that in the Toronto Life piece is that his campaign materials were littered with typos. So I guess lack of attention to detail might be part of his management style, perhaps. So behind the scenes guy, but obviously the salesmanship that has mm-hmm. to have been there, right? Uh, we also know he was a lacrosse coach for a long time uh, and has ties in that field, which certainly came up with the agents general's appointments, which I guess we can we can talk about now. So is it agents general or Jean general? I could never figure that out. Is it pronounced like a French thing or? I think it must be. I, I don't know. It, might, it could be agents general. I mean, probably Doug Ford's been saying agents general. I don't know. <laughs> But I wonder, I, it's such a weird, uh, such a bizarre term. I wondered, agent? That doesn't even make sense. So it's like a really agent old general. school post. They used to have them uh, in Ontario dating back to like the early 1900s. They'd have an agent's general or an agent general to the UK mostly, to a couple other countries along the way. Uh, and basically the position was uh, kind of deemed unnecessary. We have lots of other type of, you know, economic liaison posts that that exist uh, or diplomatic posts. Uh, so this was sort of a one that was was out of use until on the day that, that Doug Ford, as we said, tried to, you know, 
bounce back from the booze and mess uh, and failing polls with his cabinet shuffle, which could be dubbed a very unsuccessful attempt at corporate rebranding. Same day, another announcement comes out that, that these four folks are all appointed to Asians general appointments in Dallas, London, New York, and Chicago. The name for me that initially jumped out was Earl Provost, who was the fourth of five chiefs of staff that Rob Ford had at City Hall and then became executive director of the Ontario Liberal Party, but also didn't really seem to like the Liberals very much. Then he got a job in Doug Ford's office about a month ago, and all of a sudden he's off to Chicago. The other name, notable name was Jag Badwal, past uh, president of the Ontario PC Party. So you'd think maybe those would seem mm-hmm. like the, the partisan appointments, which they are, mm-hmm. um, but it was actually the other two names on the list, Tyler Albrecht and Taylor Shields, who were going to London and New York. So Taylor Shields, it turns out, is the cousin of Dean French's wife. And Tyler is a friend of Dean French's son and also someone who French coached his lacrosse team. He's was 26 years old, or he is 26 years old. He basically just graduated university. He's really had, I think, like he had an internship at a financial company, um, and he was about to get this, you know, $165,000 a year job and a free apartment in New York City, all paid for by the Ontario taxpayer, to supposedly like open the doors for Ontario businesses to invest in New York City. And I think it became, you know, it's really hard to make the argument that this 27-year-old guy. 26-year-old guy has the connections to actually facilitate this in any way, shape, or form. You know, these connections were discovered by the media, and within a few hours, or I guess a day, within a day, Dean French had uh, resigned. And the Ontario PCs, or, or at least Doug Ford, said he was planning on it the whole time. So I guess we'll never know if that is the exact connection. But I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, something like Jag Badwall or Earl Provost. Those, that's, accept, that's acceptable patronage. Exactly. That's acceptable patronage. But you just can't appoint a 26-year-old lacrosse buddy and get away with it. Hi, this is Jordan from Commons Again. I want to tell you about another podcast that I think you'll like, Slate's Political Gab Fest. Political Gab Fest is one of the longest-running political analysis podcasts out there. It launched 15 years ago and features an all-star lineup of journalists, including David Plotz, Slate's former editor-in-chief, Emily Bazelon of The New York Times Magazine, and John Dickerson, a correspondent for 60 Minutes and contributing editor to The Atlantic. One thing I like about this show is that the hosts don't always agree, so it's not some reverberating echo chamber. This podcast does an excellent job of covering today's unstable political terrain, but it also brings you the kind of informal and irreverent discussions that journalists have after hours. Did I mention that Candleland's own Jesse Brown will be joining their upcoming live show? It's in Toronto on July 10th at the TELUS Centre for Performance and Learning. There's also a pre-show cocktail hour nearby and a limited number of fans can attend. You can get tickets at slate.com slash live. If you can't make it to the live show, subscribe to Slate's Political Gab Fest. You can get the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep your friends close and your friends' relatives closer. So other than these Asian general appointments, the 
Ford government has been kind of in hot water about just general patronage appointments along the way. The Toronto Star did a big breakdown of it, I think, in April. And it it just kind of seems like government by buddy-buddy has been pretty consistent uh, since the premier was elected. So Jonathan and I, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to read the name of one of these contentious appointments or hires, and you have to give Mm -hmm. me the relationship of the person with this appointment to uh, a member of the Ford's inner circle. Okay. So, Gavin Tai, Chair of Ontario's Public Accountants Council. Well, that's an easy one. So he was uh, one of Rob and Doug Ford's many, many lawyers in particular. He was the one who defended Doug, one of the lawyers who defended Doug Ford in the municipal conflict of interest application uh, against him. And he was also Dean French's lawyer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So as as that post that Gavin Tai has, over three years, he's going to make $667,000. Good for him. Okay, now here's another easy one. Uh, Miroslav Surma, policy advisor for the Minister of Economic Development. What's his relation? So Miroslav Surma is the father of Associate Transportation Minister Kinga Surma. Kinga is an Etobicoke area PCMPP who has a close relationship with the Ford family. They've uh, he helped her. She helped him. They've been in each other's orbit for a bit. Kinga, of course, also much like. Doug Ford's wife and four daughters has a name that begins with a K and ends with an A. So we found out last week that Miroslav was, you know, has been working as a policy advisor in the Economic Developers Office. So Stephen Leachy, who's the education minister, uh, has basically been the only person who's talked to the media ever since all of these scandals have come out. And he defended this appointment by saying that the hiring of staff is the prerogative of the minister, uh, not something that the government would interfere with. But he also said that as a middle class person, that's the voice that should be informing more cabinet ministers. There's too many ivory tower people that were advising the previous liberal rulers. So by that argument, your friend's dad is just as good of a policy advisor as uh, someone with experience in the matter. Hmm. All right. Thomas Staples. Also known as Stapes, apparently. Currently the executive assistant and legislative affairs advisor for the Minister of Government and Consumer Services. Ooh. But I don't know if that'll help you. Is he he heir to the Staples fortune? No. (laughs) Um, Is he the second cousin of the person who owns Dean French's dog's sister from the same litter? Close. So he was a lacrosse player that Dean French coached at St. Mike's Private School. Which is so obvious. I should have just gone that way. Lacrosse, of course. Or lax, as people oh. have started calling it. Oh, I'd never heard that before. It's awful. I know. It's That's been all awful. over Twitter. People call hockey hawks. Uh, anyways, thank you, lacrosse. Next one is uh, Catherine or Kate Powell, Managing Director of Powell Insurance. She is appointed to the province's Public Accountants Council, well, where I guess she'll be working or has worked or is now working with Gavin Tai. What's her in? Her in was uh, like a cousin-y relationship with with Dean Frento's wife again, right? It was like his wife's niece? Yes, 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 yes. exactly, exactly. You've guessed the relation. Okay. 
We have Neil Self and Brian Gibson. They were both appointed to the Investment Management Corporation of Ontario. Ooh, Neil Self. Isn't Neil Patrick Harris Neil himself on Twitter? No, that's Neil Gaiman. Um, this one actually isn't a French tie, I ooh. will say. Did one of them coach Doug Ford's daughter in lingerie football? No. According to the NDP, Self is a major donor and longtime business partner of Rod Phillips, who uh. is Ontario's finance minister. <laughs> and oh, Gibson Gibson is a longtime business associate of Phillips. Ah, uh, so this is the more like the the accepted type of uh, patronage. Yeah, I, I think that one falls into so that. If you just category. give money, like oh yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a ticket in. But uh, if you play sports, no, 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 that's 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 crossing a line. Um, Andrew Subok? Subok? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one I know. Personal injury and insurance lawyer. According to the Globe and Mail, in 2012, the Law Society of Ontario found he had engaged in professional misconduct and fined him $8,000. He is the chair of the Justices of the Peace Appointments Advisory Committee. Yeah, that's a Dean French one too, right? Yes. Yeah, basically he's a friend of a friend of Dean French's. This particular appointment led the premier's office to tell the Globe and Mail, the premier's made it very clear he's not tolerating this anymore. And if he finds out people are there for the wrong reasons, they're out. You know, just for a bit of background, obviously these go back a while, right? The agent general was sort of the spark that finally, like, you know, lit the pile of kindling on fire. But a lot of these appointments had been posted publicly over the past months. A lot of them have been approved. There's a committee, a standing committee on agencies that, you know, is supposed to vet these things. However, Kate Powell, how does anyone know that she's the niece of uh, Dean French's or, you know, it's not... They weren't obvious, and lots of these people have such low profiles that it mm-hmm. would be tough to, you know, even really dig them up. So the culmination of all of this has been Ford saying that they're going to review all of the appointments they've made since he took office, and, you know, that they're going to be more careful when they make more. Um, I, I mean, I love the sort of the notion, the idea advanced that, oh, this was this is the Dean. This is the Dean French problem. Now that he's out of there, been, you know, pushed out. Oh, OK. Things are going to run properly now or, and or professionally because Dean French is no longer there. And he was doing things the premier was only vaguely aware of. And I have no doubt that Doug Ford was probably unaware of a good deal of it. But there's also you know, very, very, very good reason to believe that he was basically acting as an extension of Doug Ford's id. He was Doug Ford's Doug Ford. That is to say, he was to Doug Ford what Doug Ford was to Rob Ford at Toronto City Hall. He was the one who took what was, you know, these these abstract thoughts float and ideas floating around in his head and attempted to translate them into policy would be a very overly generous word. We attempted to translate them into decisions, actions. And the idea that this is a Dean French problem is especially absurd when you look at anything in Doug Ford's political or professional history. And Toronto City Hall also has appoints members of the public to a whole range of agencies, boards, uh, and commissions. When Rob Ford took office, that process got pretty fucked up. 
the city does have a whole range of mechanisms such that members of the public are supposed to be able to apply and be given these appointments on their own merits, basically, with teams of counselors scrutinizing their resumes, looking at their professional expertise and experience, and then subjecting them to interviews, and then deciding who was actually qualified to sit on the library board, or the sign variance committee, or the, I think there's a fence review committee, or things like that. Under Rob Ford, in his first year in office, that process got pretty messed up. And as the as an investigation by the city ombudsman later found, basically staff's ability to do their job was compromised. Basically, the mayor's office more or less oversaw and drove the process. They're supposed to put public notices out for these appointments, that these appointments are available, you can fill them. They directed staff uh, not to put those ads in the Toronto Star, uh, as they normally would, because the Star has the biggest readership in Toronto and the most diverse readership, they instructed them to place ads only in the Toronto Sun and the National Post. Not long after, a member of the city manager's office wrote an email to the city manager expressing uh, their concerns with the process, uh, stating that it will look to cynics as if the fix is already in for appointments and the process is just for show. Furthermore, when a conflict of interest was brought up in one civic appointments committee meeting, Georgia Mamaliti is reported to have basically threatened staff, saying, I'm going to get you. So the other thing is that Ford's office, the mayor's office, produced a list of 26 preferred candidates for a range of positions that was then handed out to their allies on the Civic Appointments Committee, saying these are the people we want in different positions. Of those 26 preferred candidates, according to Councillor Mike Layton at the time, who added it up, they gave a total of $11,000 to Rob Ford's 2010 campaign. Further, I feel like very few things offer as much insight as the fact that a member of the library board, a fairly controversial member who had actually openly advocated closing, I think it was a third of the city's libraries, was someone who Adrian Batra, then the press secretary, met in line at a Starbucks one day. Okay, I just have a great detail that really just Mm -hmm. reminds me of that Adrian Batra one. So as I said, there's like a committee Mm -hmm. at Queen's Park that has been reviewing these appointments. And I guess, to be honest, and there's NDP members on this committee, although they don't have a power to veto the appointments, they probably could have been keeping better track of, you Mm -hmm. know, what came up in this committee along the way. Uh, We have someone named Michael Smoskovich who has been appointed as a member of the Ontario Cannabis Retail Corp. So during his interview with the committee, uh, which, again, this is all public, the transcripts of it online, uh, and NDP MPP asked him, how were you approached for this appointment? He responded, I was approached by an acquaintance of mine who is also acquaintance of Dean French, who introduced me to Dean French. I had a brief chat with Dean, and then he asked me to go online and then do all the applications online. So it's really, you know, it's word of mouth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But what I want to like, I guess what this boils down to, to bring it back to, you know, our management trope is that it's a creating a culture where you can get away with it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, working in a restaurant where you don't wipe down the menus every night. And all of a sudden, everything's just a little bit dirtier. But as long as the manager doesn't really care, then the staff gets away with it. And it just, you know, keeps percolating. And you end up with a place where, you know, Dean French thinks he can get away with appointing a 26-year-old to be a economic liaison for Ontario in New York City. So there were stories about Dean French because he sort of came out of nowhere and that he seems to be this 
this sort of this powerful I mean it was this powerful it was actually powerful or just scary oh powerful yeah like he imagine sure. like I, I mean he's Randy Hillier attributes him to being kicked out of the caucus says that t- Dean French didn't like him mm. and that was what led to that which we've talked about the yada 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 scandal Hillier's been really forthright since the resignation that like this was inevitable and that basically Dean French was a wreck as a manager. Well, and then one of the other stories that uh, preceded his resignation and even the booze at the Raptors, but not by much, maybe by a week, was the star's story about Dean French making an Ontario, or sorry, a Toronto area PC MPP cry Mm. outside of a caucus retreat. And again, that was just like more fuel to the fire. There's been a lot of that. And as I said, you know, at Queen's Park, when something would happen, you know, that was, let's just say, maybe seemed uh, vindictive, the word everyone on everyone's lips was was Dean. Hmm. I mean, though I should say the other perception of him that people had was that he is a really political guy. And all of these tactics that he has been using, you know, Mm. to fine tune how caucus behaves are really aimed at Doug Ford winning the next election. Like the idea is, and you know, Ontario News Now, I think, may have some of his fingerprints on it. He's not just a, doing this to get his friends elected, although I guess that's mm. what he's or appointed. That's that's on the side. He perceives his strategy to be getting Doug Ford set up to win again. So there is a method to the madness. Was there a palpable sense of relief in the caucus when he was booted? Oh, I think so. I mean, you had PC sources telling the media that they were popping champagne bottles. Really? Yeah. So uh, everyone it, seems to be relieved. I, I mean, I admit, as soon as I heard, like, I heard that he was gone, I imagine the PC caucus like uh, like the Winkies and the Wiz after the, the witch is defeated, where they're just shedding their sweatsuits and singing about a, the dawn of a brand new day. Everybody look around, because there's a reason to rejoice, you see. Well, and what it's really going to come down to, and I think what everyone's looking at right now, is the race to decide on his replacement. Is it going to be somebody from Ford's inner circle? I know one of the people in the running is allegedly, you know, rumored to be uh, on the shortlist is a man named Greg Harrington, who was Dean French's senior advisor and Dean French's deputy. So there's the very much the possibility that someone who comes in could have the same, yeah. um, what do we say? Management style. Sure, management Manager, style as management as Mr. French did. And I think until, you know, the caucus finds out who that is, there's not going to be that much of a breath of fresh air. Six Sigma is a quality program that when all is said and done, improves your customer's experience, lowers your cost, and builds better leaders. Jack Welch, former CEO of General Electric. So Jonathan, what else do we know about Doug Ford's track record as a manager or his preferred management styles? 
Well, he is a big fan of Lean Six Sigma. It's not clear if he exactly knows what that is or what it means, but he really likes it. And he supposedly implemented it at Deco. It's something he had hoped to implement at Toronto City Hall, even though, you know, he was a city councillor, not supposed to be really implementing things broadly. So, I mean, I think what listeners need to know about Lean Six Sigma is, um, I mean, basically it's a corporate uh, business management technique that involves increasing profits by getting rid of waste and it can go sort of through... Oh, getting rid of waste. That's genius. I know. No one's ever thought of this before. It basically aims to increase profits by streamlining processes and getting rid of variability in how things work. But I think kind of... More importantly, was in around 2011, which was the exact same time Doug Ford was pushing this at City Hall, it was uh, a business technique that was very beloved by Republicans south of the border. Unlike, however, (laughs) most of the political establishment, Ford has not given up on Six Sigma, apparently. Five months ago, Doug sent kind of a a New Year's letter to the province's 60,000 bureaucrats, kind of thanking them for their hard work and setting out priorities. But the letter included the line, I was particularly pleased to learn that more than 1,000 members of the public service are certified Six Sigma black belts and will be continuing to look to you to provide leadership as we work to improve the functioning of government. So I guess 1,000 Ontario bureaucrats or Six Sigma black belts. I mean, that's surprising. I think so. I mean, I guess it means probably in if this is true, that in 2011, when it was a big trend, the liberal government at the time decided to institute this training. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds like a sort of qualification you'd fake and no one would ever check. Well, actually, so when I was Googling Six Sigma yesterday uh, as, you know, part of my attempt to understand whatever the hell this thing is, one of the main search results that came up is like discounted 40-hour courses to get your black belt. So it doesn't actually seem like uh, attaining this credential is actually Mm. uh, that far off from uh, either you or I. We could be black belts, too. I mean, to me, the Six Sigma obsession kind of perfectly encapsulates Doug Ford's, you know, Mm. last year in office. It's massive reforms managed by someone with only 40 hours of training. A successful man is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks others have thrown at him. The late ABC newscaster David Brinkley. How many bricks do you expect to get thrown at you? Like that's that that's probably speaks to bad management if people are throwing bricks at you. Here, here. They need to hurt, frankly. <laughs> so what do we know about Doug Ford's management of Deco? At least ever since his father passed away in 2006 and, and left him the company. Up until early last June, mm. we really didn't know We didn't much. know a whole lot. There was a 2014 feature in the Globe and Mail just ahead of that year's municipal election when Doug Ford was running for mayor, uh, in which Robin Doolittle and Greg MacArthur, from court records, freedom information requests, and interviews with DECO employees past and present, they were able to build a picture of Doug Ford's management style of a very ambitious person who had extended this company arguably beyond its means. 
Multiple people who they spoke to compared it to uh, Doug Ford's Ferris wheel ideal for the Portlands. His approach to the company was sort of a grand, bold vision, but not necessarily all the sort of the little the dots you need to get to that place or figuring out what, what do you do once you open an office in New Jersey? Uh, what, do, what does it actually take to make that run? We didn't really get a good look at Deco until last June. One of the quotes that we read off the top kind of uh, applies here. That was the the CEO of Freshies. Talk is cheap, but it's execution that sets you apart. Mm-hmm. So would you say it's a failure of execution at, at Deco? I mean, I would say it's a failure of execution at Freshie. Um, <laughs> if you've ever actually had their food. So then what we found out in June came out in the court filings when Renata Ford, wife of the late mayor, Rob Ford, announced she is suing Doug Ford for $16.5 million for his mismanagement of Rob Ford's estate and mismanagement mm. of the company. She's actually suing mm. Doug, Randy, and the corporation. Mm. And we should note that these claims have not been proven in court uh, and the lawsuit is ongoing. And that and that Doug denies the characterizations of, mm. of his management style and of the company that were filed in these court filings. But let's revisit some of the, some of the wonderful allocations in this statement of claim from Renata Ford. So Renata alleges Doug is a negligent business manager, that he continues to receive extravagant compensation, even though Deco's been losing money, uh, that he has ignored the company to pursue his political career, that he himself called Randy Ford incompetent and not fit to be the executive of the company, but left him in charge of operations anyways. The defendants negligently mistreated and unreasonably dismissed employees who proposed improvements on how the businesses of Deco Toronto and Deco Chicago could be operated or returned to profitability. And that he, here we go, there's the dinger, guys. He improperly hired friends and family to work at Deco, even though they were not qualified. Also in these court filings were specific uh, numbers that Mm. are apparently from Deco's actual filings. Again, it's a private company, so this was kind of the only look at these we could get. But that the company has been losing lots and lots of money, more than five million, close to six million between 2010 and 2017. In some, at least one year, it lost over two million, and that. Before Doug Ford Sr.'s death, the company had a market value of $10 million and an investment profile of between 15 and $20 million. So if we can assume that it's p- possible that the company has lost, or at least its market value has plummeted in half uh, following these years of Doug Ford's mm-hmm. management, although we can't say that for sure, that is what these court filings mm-hmm. allege. So once again, Ford uh, refutes the characterizations of of his company in the statement of claim. His mother, Diane Ford, also refuted Renata's allegations about how the family has handled Rob's estate, uh, because that's sort of a big part of it for for Renata. Uh, She was supposed to be left, uh, I think, 200 shares of the company that were Rob's, and apparently the company just sold them all to Randy for $1 a piece. And Renata's been left with nothing and has had to remortgage her home a bunch of times and is now ostensibly in a lot of debt. And is <laughs> running for the far right People's Party of Canada, uh, which uh, should be fun. 
it's very unlikely that anyone in that party has any idea what the implications are of having thrust her into the spotlight. But the people of Etobicoke North will now have the opportunity to vote for a Ford in the October federal election. Oh, God forbid they should go an election without having an opportunity to vote for a Ford. So some things never change. Some management styles never wane. They say that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result each time is the definition of insanity. But perhaps in Ontario, it's the definition of political genius. That was Wag the Doug, a show about friends and family. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at at Queen's Park Today. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me at Goldsby. Our producer is Kevin Sexton, and our theme song is by Nathan Burley. If you like the show, tell a friend or a second cousin or your lacrosse player, uncles, brothers, nieces, dogs, veterinarian. Uh, it helps. If you're in Toronto, you can see us live on Saturday, July 13th at 3.15 p.m. at the Toronto Outdoor Art Fair at Nathan Phillips Square. Just Google Doug Ford versus the arts and you'll find the details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.